Hey everyone, just want to encourage you to find us on your listening platform and give us a rating. Anywhere you listen to that has a rating system, go on over and give us a rating and maybe leave us a review. Let us know your thoughts. These ratings really do help. Thank you so much for listening. On to this week's episode. Rolando. And Eddie. Hey. Yo. How do you guys measure and by what metrics do you, after watching a movie, say that was a good movie or... That was a bad movie. Good question. I think for me, a bad movie is a movie in which I walk away. That's usually my main metric. I think if I can walk in the middle of it, don't even let it like I don't even let it finish. If I don't finish the movie, I have given up on the movie and that doesn't happen often. Right. So I don't I often don't think many movies are so bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. whether or not it's a movie I will revisit that might also be indicative of a whether or not I think a movie is good or bad despite the fact that I have said many times on the podcast I don't like to revisit movies but if the movie leaves me wanting to one day go back and revisit it I think that's a good sign too yeah those are weird metrics but those are what I tend to go by Okay, so for you, it's kind of like basic entertainment. If it's not entertaining enough and you want to just walk away from the movie, that's like the key thing as to what's good and bad. Yes, I would say. I think, okay. you know, if I could walk away either feeling some kind of way or really thinking about what I just experienced, that yeah. tends to be a good sign for a film. Okay, got it. Eddie, what about, what about you? Yeah, what about you, Eddie? I guess uh, how the movie engages me emotionally the different like different levels like when we walk into in a movie most most of the time we know like it's going to be a comedy it's going to be a drama it's going to be you know entertaining sci-fi of some sort you know um so we have those kind of we set ourselves up for the whatever those expectations are and where we're surprised when something moves us deeper and what what, what would make it bad i guess is just what just feeling like totally like disconnected from from the story, from the characters, yeah, um, from like the just the whole the whole movie experience is uncomfortable for me. Do you often feel like you've wasted your time watching a movie? It depends on the movie. But like, <laughs> is that indicative of a good or bad movie for you? Well, like Hope Floats, that rom com, or maybe just romance with Sandra Bullock. Mm. And in I don't know where you're going with uh, this, but go on. It, it's kind. Of, that was a movie where I was like, "This is a stupid movie. I really don't like this movie at all." This is okay. Yeah, it's like okay. I okay. Don't like this movie at all. Um, Requiem for a Dream, oh. I I thought was incredible, but I will never watch that movie again. Never mm. watch that movie. Okay. That 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 movie took me to a dark space. And did not leave my imagination for quite some time. That could be that's so the not leaving your imagination for quite some time might be a yeah. good sign for. Yeah. No, it is, it is, it is. I'm just saying that there's some movies that I would not revisit because of the emotional impact that so it has left my on metric me. Is not necessarily a good metric, and I think that's a valid, valid point. Actually, mm-hmm. what you're bringing yeah. up right now. Yeah, uh, I heard sure. you groan, Nicole, for Requiem for a Dream. What's your beef? I do not like that filmmaker, Darren Aronofsky. I feel like he's a snuff filmmaker. I think he likes to actually take pleasure in torturing people and that, you know, he has like, like Requiem for a Dream. Drugs are bad. And I'm going to show you over and over and over again in horrific detail for two hours, just how drugs are bad to the point where it's preaching 
and it's self-righteous. I, don't and know if it was, I think it was just, I mean, I don't disagree with you about personally enough. Yeah. Well, I, I don't, cause I, yeah, his objective so is to, yeah. yeah, to make you exactly to feel uncomfortable and to bother you and to get under your nails. He's almost like an edgelord filmmaker. Mm. But what about the fountain? I don't think there was any snuff in the fountain. No, you know, so some of his movies aren't like, like the wrestler is it okay. But I for the, the most, wrestler. I think that's yeah, a good I do think, I think that might be my favorite of his, even though it is pretty it's it's pretty miserable of a film it so, objectifies the hell out of that yeah. beautiful uh oh marissa tomei oh marissa tomei oh she's great in it yeah i love she's her so good it is she's so, yeah. like i am a gay man and i will say it's just like yeah i i understand the appeal of this she's woman. hot she's hot she's hot but you know it's interesting because i agree with all of you when it comes to you know what makes a bad movie in terms of my personal metric but a big one for me and i think my top tier is if whether or not I feel like this is a a basic film. Like, have I seen it before? Is this doing anything new or interesting or uniquely? And if I feel like I'm just watching like a template movie that, you know, just I can't even tell if the film, who made it, if the filmmaker like even cared that they made this film, if it was inspired or not, that to me, if it's boring, if it's uninspired, if it's just like copy and paste from a bunch of other movies and does nothing new, that is more so a bad movie. Like, People think Showgirls is a bad movie, and I completely disagree with that because I've never seen anything like Showgirls, and it has a style, and I actually think it has something really interesting and wonderful to say and uniquely done. So it's crazy because people say Showgirls is a bad movie, and I completely disagree with that. I don't but, know Showgirls enough to like say it's a good or it's a. I mean, it's but it you, know the, you know, oh, the yeah, yeah, yeah. you know the reputation. You know the reputation. Yeah, yeah. No, so. I don't know. It has some pretty bad acting in it, though. In retrospect, but that's actually if, that's well, one appeal? you haven't seen the movie, but two, the movie is incredibly hyperbolic, right? It's supposed to be over the top, and mm-hmm. Paul Verhoeven has even said like that's how he directed Elizabeth Berkley. He, he directed her to be so ridiculous. Yeah, he he took credit <laughs> for her acting. You know? I saw the I, so. I mean I saw the uh, the sex scene in the in the pool, for example. That one was provided, <laughs> just flailing about like a fish. I know. So actually, that's a movie that's a direct contrast to a Darren Aronofsky movie, and I'll take that approach to a movie any day other than Darren Aronofsky. So um, I I actually agree with you. I don't think I see. That's a great example of movies that are quote unquote bad but I still would consider them good for me I've always said this Norbit comes to mind uh, Mm, White Chicks mm -hmm. these are movies that are by no means are they like art but they are thoroughly entertaining and I will sit down and all those are movies I will rewatch because they're just comedies and funny Uh, well comedies are different too and every genre should be taken differently we shouldn't judge like Tar the same way we judge Norbert right but uh, but the thing that you mentioned though was a copy and paste thing. If like, oh, if the movie doesn't have like a style or it doesn't, if it doesn't feel like that's a hard thing to accomplish nowadays. I feel when we have just so much content out there that I don't know. Maybe I have a different metric because of that. Like I say, it's just like because like. Well, I would agree, it, and that's also why I feel very turned off by a lot of media today because it all feels very similar it's hard for me to differentiate certain ones so when things come out that are so different like everything everywhere all at once i'm like wow what a great movie like how unique how inspired is this film and it like yeah i thought so i mean it wasn't my favorite movie of the year but i'm actually really glad that it won best picture i mean what a movie to win best picture as opposed to last year coda which was a respectable choice but was it the best movie 
I don't know. I I think that would like after we saw it. I think we saw it before the Oscars, right? I one hundred percent was just like, look, it's feel goodery. I don't know if it's gonna win because it was a long shot, but I think that movie was good. That was just like that movie made me feel. Yeah, and well, I I thought yes. I love this conversation. We're getting really out of hand with our quote open today. <laughs> uh, I was going to is a great movie, but in terms of, I guess, like all the different metrics of what makes a good movie. And for me and how I define it, like for me, that was more so power of the dog uh, than Coda. I thought that oh, although it was right. very emotional and feel good, I don't think it, it clicked every single thing. Like I, I, I have seen that movie before. I saw the French version of that movie. <laughs> Whereas yeah, like the, Power of the but, Dog is but the a very French one was so film. different in terms of tone. Like you realize like, oh, you can make this story and you can make it like emotionally impactful rather yeah. than kind of yeah. making fun of I don't a disabled know. community. I think we gotta put a pinch in this and get into it because we, yeah, how is this all related to <laughs> how is this related to Mel Brooks's history of the world part one and the new Hulu eight part series? I guess stay tuned to find out. I am Nicole. And I'm Rolando. And this is Remakes, Reboots, and Revivals. An original podcast about unoriginality. So let's make a quick left turn and let's talk about the Oscars that just happened. I briefly mentioned that Everything Everywhere All at Once, not only one Best Picture, it almost did a clean sweep of all the big awards. So it won Best Original Screenplay, Film Editing, Directing, Supporting, Supporting Actress and Actor, and Actress. I I mean, very few movies have done that Wait, in the history of the Oscars. Wait, it su- didn't win Best Actor, though. Supporting Actor. It didn't yes, win right. Best Actor. That went had to it won, Yeah. Had it won yeah. Best Actor, it would have oh, really... No. Why wasn't he... Why wasn't this gentleman nominated for Best Actor? He was the lead actor. Uh, because I think he was still actually a supporting role. Like just because yeah. he was the next, like he was the male lead, doesn't mean he was a lead. In the I don't film. know because I would say he would. I don't know. I feel like he should have been classified as a male lead. He was a important. Granted, he's not the main character, mm-hmm. but he was the main act, like the main male character. Yeah, but just because he's the male main character doesn't mean he was a lead of the film. Like I actually think. He was appropriately put in supporting. Okay. I thought, yeah, I thought he should have, in retrospect, I think he, sh- I thought he should have gotten best actor because he, because he was present just as much. Not as much as uh, Michelle Yeoh, but. Uh, Not, yeah. Yeah. But, like he was still present, like a sig, he had like, because he hit, I mean, the scene, the, the scene that goes back to, uh, uh, car, car one. What? The, uh, what is the scene uh, outside the movie theater, right? Yeah. Like that scene where like he, when he says, it's like, oh, I wish, you know, in another life I could have a laundromat with you and stuff. It's just like that just gets the heart. And it's just because outside of, because actually I made it also make the argument that Stephanie Shu should have yes yes the, i think she should 100 agree with over if, they, if we're giving it to someone from that film it should have been it should have been Curtis. her i think it should have been in my opinion angela bassett but that's just me <laughs> yeah i was expecting angela bassett to win but she looks I... so mad she looked like <laughs> racism <laughs> 
Yeah, all of a sudden, Jamie Lee Curtis got all this momentum. And when I was watching the Oscars and they had like the small blurbs from everyone, when Stephanie Hsu's part came up, I got emotional because it made me remember how impactful her performance was as that character. Just in that little 10 second blurb. And she when was it, so good. She was so good. She was so when it went to Jamie Lee so Curtis, good. it was devastating. Did you guys see her, uh, that Poker Face episode she was in? She was so good in that too. Yes. Yeah, she was. Uh, that was a Joseph, really, uh, That was so good. <laughs> that was a really good episode. Uh, guys, um, if you haven't seen Poker Face, please do. And then DM us. And we yeah, talk and we'll talk about it, it then. That show is easily one of my favorites of the year, right? It's been a yeah, strong yeah. year for like television, in my opinion, uh, for streaming. And like Poker Face easily is one of the top shows so far of this year. Yeah, so good. Uh, but, you know, another one that really got a lot was All Quiet on the Western Front, which we covered on this podcast. It, it was kind of looking like it was going to sweep, you know, for a while there. There was like consecutive awards where it won in production design. I think it won in makeup and hairstyling. And then, no, that was Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I'm sorry. That uh, makes but, sense. Like, but it won best. I mean, look at the fashion. Yeah, no, it was incredible. But then it won best score. I don't, I don't remember liking the music. Yeah, because it was just really repetitive. And yeah. I don't know. I was kind of upset that that happened. But um, yeah, Top Gun Maverick won Best Sound. Avatar The Way of Water won Visual Effects. So a lot I of the films that we covered did win some awards. I actually do think, though, maybe Top Gun Maverick should have won Best Picture, in my no opinion. No way. It saved the film industry. None of these other films can say that. Uh, okay. You think by that alone, it should have won? Because it was a good film. If it was good and it was a important film of this year because of what it did for the film industry as a whole. Got it. Hold That's on. why I, just... I think it should have gotten the uh, award. I don't know. I haven't seen Tar, so I can't speak to it. I haven't seen The Triangle of Sadness because... For me, I think of, for some reason, that title makes me think of, like, no offense, Nicole, but, like, sad lesbians. Is that what, is that what Triangle are you, of Sadness Are you implying that I, myself, am a sad lesbian, so I would take offense to that statement? I am I just, offended, I feel sir. like I was just painting broadly lesbians <laughs> on that one. <laughs> triangle of Sadness. That's interesting. Why? Triangles remind you of lesbians? Like, what? Certain is it, lady I, parts when we were little kids? No, we never. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, <laughs> I'm glad we come to mind that quickly for you. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, Triangle of Sadness won the Palm Door at the Cannes Film Festival, but it hasn't really, you know, uh, resonated with American audiences as well. I think as as with European audiences, and even All Quiet on the Western Front. I don't know, like people aren't really talking about that movie. I don't know many people who have seen it. And who want to you talk think about it's because it. it's a Netflix movie? I actually, I have friends who don't want to see it because they're like, oh, why? The original one was so good. I'm just like, guys, but this is like from the point of view of an actual German. And that matters. It does matter. It does matter. I mean, for the historical context, it matters. For the overall film, not necessarily because I think the original was better. Oh, that's so um, funny. I actually, because I actually think the, the remake, I enjoyed the remake more so than the original. Well, yes. I did. Th I think the original yes. one is good. I think I just enjoyed the remake better, and that's only because of my contemporary sensibilities. Yeah, I think that uh, I don't. I don't. I don't actually think it it brings anything new or more interesting than the original film did. I think it's actually a little bit more repetitive, personally. But you know what? Let's leave that aside. Let's actually start getting into today's uh, topic. 
well, because I think we're already at like 20 minutes. <laughs> we're really getting into the history of the cinema here. So wh- how do you guys feel about Mel Brooks? I like some of his stuff. Spaceballs comes to mind. Okay. Uh, what else? Dracula, Dead and Loving It. Dracula, What's Dead and Loving It. Another, mm-hmm. like, uh, Young Frankenstein. He... Oh, you know, I have never seen Young Frankenstein. Oh, boy. Shame on you. You have right? Eddie? I hear it's good. Is that the one that also features... That features the guy from Everybody Loves Raymond, right? Brad Garrett no. as Frankenstein? No. Peter. Oh, Peter Boyle. Yes, Peter Boyle Peter was Boyle. That. He's in uh, Young Frankenstein. That's right. That's his, uh, his big... Can you believe he's the only actor out of that cast who never won a Emmy? And I think um, that's such a curse. I can believe it. Well, I've never Emmy. really watched that show. Well, so. that show is so good. I don't care what people say. That show is so good. It it still holds up. Like, I sometimes will watch reruns of it. I'm just like, this show is brilliant. I feel like Eddie doesn't like to watch it because it may hit too close to home. <laughs> what with the mother-in-law living downstairs from us. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, he Blazing Saddles, the producers. Blazing Saddles, I enjoyed the original, and um, I never saw the the original producers. I did see the remake, which is based Mm. off of the musical, right? Yes, yes, yes. yeah. Uh, Okay, so he hasn't made that many movies. So actually, you no, you haven't seen a good amount. Never mind. I saw what I saw three so far. Yeah, I saw a lot. I mean, you haven't seen Young Frankenstein or Blazing Saddles. I think his two. No, no, no. I said I've seen Blazing Saddles. I like Blazing Saddles. Oh wow. Really? Do you? Yeah. You, get... you, you don't? I love Blazing Saddles. I just I don't love think it. you would love I like Blazing Saddles. And yo, I, because I don't like Westerns? Yeah. I like yeah. it for the social commentary. Got it. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, Wokeism in the house. <laughs> so Mel Brooks was pretty ubiquitous in terms of comedy in the 70s, especially after the release of Young Frankenstein and uh, Blazing Saddles, both in the year of 1974. I mean, two huge films, and he was kind of like the top guy when it came to comedy. After that, he made a movie called Silent Movie, which was a pretty successful uh, comedic spoof of silent movies. And then he did a movie called High Anxiety, which mm. was his spoof of Hitchcock movies. And Wait, I think... Oh, I think I've, I may have seen High Anxiety. He's the lead. Cloris Leachman is like the evil nurse. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, um, Harvey Corman's in it. Uh, Madeline Kahn is in it too, but a little, so like the whole regulars that he has mm-hmm. are in it. And then after High Anxiety, it was History of the World. So he also established himself as like the major kind of, I, not really satire, like parody guy. Parody. Yes, that is the apropos word to describe his style of comedy. Yes. Um, and then after the History of the World, he made uh, a remake of To Be or Not To Be, and then he did, and then he didn't do things as much like he did Spaceballs in '87, Robin Hood in 1991. You know, so he's now nowadays he's very classic. Like I don't know if too many people like millennials are singing the praises of Mel Brooks, <laughs> but like he's now I think is revert like referred to as a very classic uh, filmmaker, and classic. His, he's kind of. Um, he's aged. Let's I just didn't... say his 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 type of comedy, I think, has seen some aging. Yeah. There isn't this like timeless quality to it as like say Charlie Chaplin films have. 
Do you really think that Charlie Chaplin films are timeless? Yes, I do. I will never sit and watch a Charlie Chaplin film. I'll tell you that much. That's because it's black and white and you hate watching black and white movies. And? I know plenty of people who would. No, your community is a niche community, Nicole. No offense on that one. No, just I because you. No, oh my god, you. We, oh you, my god, you know what? We're gonna make a TikTok video one day of us <laughs> going to Times Square and like picking people off the street and be like, "Will you watch a Charlie Chaplin film?" And we'll see who wins. It's gonna be a blind study. <laughs> I promise you, I will win. I I think more people are open to older movies than you are. I think that you are actually, no offense, a pretty close-minded viewer. I don't disagree so. with that. I am a very close-minded viewer. <laughs> like, I don't think everyone's as close-minded as you. I mean, I think some people are, but they tend to be, you know, like 15 years old. I also um, well, I also disagree with you on that one. I think most <laughs> viewers are just as, I would argue, maybe even more close-minded than me. I, this is where we need people to chime in. Guys, come on. Email us. Respond on social media. Whatever it takes. Let us know your thoughts on this. No, where do you because the people align? who listen to this podcast are also people who are very open-minded on film. So, so you know you're gonna lose <laughs> on the response rate from within our own podcast. Okay, so Mel Brooks, like I said, very classic, kind of has aged. Doesn't have this like kind of timeless quality to it. And if you were to think of another, I don't know, film other than Charlie Chaplin that is a bit older, but maybe not in black and white. Let's think of um, Airplane. Do you consider that to be classic? Airplane and is a co- classic. And do you consider that humor to be timeless? Um, Airplane is a movie that I will still, uh, I would rewatch. There you go. Okay, so, so that's yeah, a good so contemporary. Who yeah. made that one? That wasn't Leslie That's the Zucker I Brothers. Know. That's David okay. Zucker and then Jim Abram. And... I know that Leslie Neeson was the lead. Yeah, the Zucker Brothers went on to make Top Secret, The Naked Gun, you know, some, I think, of the funniest movies ever made. Uh, so, <laughs> History of the Worlds... Top Secret is actually, I think, one of their, you know, let's just, we're getting really off. (laughs) (laughs) So, like I said, History of the World, part one, it came out in 1981. This was directed, written, and produced by Mel Brooks. And you could very much say that this was an ego-driven project because unlike some of his earlier films, he is pretty much front and center here. He is in almost every single vignette that he uh, displays. And he's often the lead. He's not just a supporting role. Like, he's not even in Young Frankenstein. He's a very minor role in Blazing Saddles. He's one of the leads in Silent Movie. He's the lead in High Anxiety, even though it's more of an ensemble piece. But then here, it's like all, it's like the Mel Brooks show. And I also think it's one of the reasons why this movie doesn't work that well. Mm. Um, So You sound very, be careful there, treading that anti-Semitic line, I think. (laughs) Yeah, and it's especially (laughs) because he's Jewish, right? That's what I said. (laughs) So... Like he he spoofed silent movies, spoofed westerns, spoofed <clears throat> Hitchcock. This is him spoofing epic movies and sword and sandal kind of movies, or just like the period drama films. Were uh, they a big thing going on in the eighties? Yeah, so in the eighties, actually, you do have like this revival of the sword and sandal kind of like what we talked about when we talked about Willow. There was also uh, Excalibur. Mm. There was Legend. Even Dark Crystal. Like all of these kind of fantasy sword and sandal. Conan the Barbarian. Um, yeah, these kind of movies. Fantasy. These are like kind of like yeah. So in that typical. respect, but it's also like a very specific type of fantasy. It's not like the future. It's kind of like a medieval, you know, uh, parallel past. Mm. Uh, but movies like Ben Hur 
the Ten Commandments. That was huge 20 mm-hmm. years prior to making this movie. So it's kind of like people who grew up during that time. Just like Westerns, you know, people who grew up watching Westerns could finally see a spoof of it. But it was closer to that movie than it is now. Like, they don't really make epics like this anymore. Um, So it starts off with the Stone Age, which is kind of mocking 2001 A Space Odyssey. Right. And it goes so. into... So yes. pretentious. <laughs> yeah. Then it goes... It's not my favorite Kubrick movie, so I'll, I'll let that pass. Uh, <laughs> then it goes into the Old Testament. And then it goes into the Roman Empire, which I think is probably the longest vignette. Which I think is too long. Too long. I would agree Absolutely with that. Absolutely too long. Yes. Then it does a little musical number of the Spanish Inquisition, which I think is probably one of the best vignettes of the film. I actually did like the musical number, but again, I thought it went too long. Yes. And then it cut that in half easily. Absolutely. I I do agree with you. And the last one being the French Revolution and Mm -hmm. to me being the most cringy of them all. Um, Yeah. So it's all just a bunch of vignettes narrated by Orson Welles. And again, at the the forefront of most of them is Mel Brooks himself. So what did you think was the best? Honestly, I like the old, the old Testament one. (laughs) With the 15 commandments. The 15 commandments. I mean, that's a funny (laughs) joke, right? Like 15 commandments. Boom. Uh, 10 commandments. I got the 10 commandments here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And then that's it. Because that's a short skit that works because all it is, is just a voice and Moise. Wow. Moses. Mm -hmm. At, uh, at, at, at Mount Sinai, you know, so that's like it's a short skit. It works. I actually also did enjoy the Stone Age kit, skit. My favorite part being like the first heterosexual marriage, followed by the first homosexual, homosexual. marriage. Yeah. And I'm thinking yeah. it's just like, oh wow, there were homosexual marriages happening in the 80s. Who <laughs> don't let the Republicans find out, guys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, this is right when Reagan took office, so makes sense. Uh, this is the beginning of. He saw that. this movie. And he's just like, not on my watch. <laughs> Yeah, so the the Stone Age one, I don't know if this is like, again, this is why I said, is it timeless? Because maybe in 1981 when this came out, people were laughing out loud. But I did not laugh out loud. You didn't laugh out loud? Very much during, I think maybe like twice during this movie. You didn't laugh when all those cavemen were just masturbating as the sun rose? Yeah. uh, I did. No. I thought it was funny. What about when they discover music? No. No? Um, I, I actually think the, yeah, the, the first two skits are easily the strongest ones, in my opinion. Uh, So for me, the Spanish Inquisition is good. But again, I do agree that it's too long. Uh, I've seen this movie before, so maybe that has impacted it, my viewing upon it. Like, you know, I remember most of it. <clears throat> uh, Madeline Kahn made me laugh out loud when we first meet her. And she's like, please, everybody step on the same foot. Like something like that. Who who was she? She she wasn't the Vestal Virgin. She was like Caesar's wife. Oh, okay, like the Empress. Yeah, 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 yeah. She yeah, you don't know Madeline Kahn? I no. Okay, not, well not, that was not, her. Not, not like not by name or something. Maybe stuff I've seen her in. Uh, and then Spike Milligan yeah, like in the French Revolution is pretty much like the crazy locked up dad who thinks the birds are alive. <laughs> see now that i thought was funny but other than that like i don't know just so much of it kind of fell flat for me so it did Um, this movie did feel like watching like a bad snl episode i won't disagree with you on that uh i actually because when we talked about covering this i remember 
uh, you had asked me, had I seen it before? I'm like, yes, I've seen it before. And now I, I just didn't remember the context of which I had seen it before. What was it? Was because uh, back in the day when we had cable, you know how there was like the TV guy channel and it tells you like what's on TV. Mm-hmm. And it will give you sometimes on the channel, like the movie, sometimes it'll give you star ratings. And I remember History of the World had one star out of, I think, four or five. And that caught my attention because I'm just like, wow, I've never seen a one star rated movie on this uh, on my TV guy channel. Let me check it out. And I started watching it, but I don't remember finishing it. And I had to watch it for the podcast. And I was just like, maybe I didn't finish it because I don't remember the, the I don't French remember Revolution. the musical number or the French Revolution. Mm, mm. And I probably did give up during that Roman Empire one because it was so long. And so I don't long, think it was yeah. going anywhere. Yeah. And even like the Last Supper joke wasn't that funny. It wasn't. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it was like kind of a, a bummer. It it but. almost was like trying too hard to be funny for me, and that's the thing. Like, I I don't want to say that it's just because it's old, you know. And sometimes when you watch comedies, you really have to watch them with other people to like see, you know. If, maybe if I watch this with like five other people who were, thought it was funny, I would find it funny. Um, but I laugh by myself when I'm watching Blazing Saddles or High Anxiety, or some of his other films. So I was kind of shocked by just how not funny it was. And then when it got to the French Revolution, and here's the thing that always kind of, it's kind of, I have to realize this about Mel Brooks, is that he's just really creepy and perverted in his movies. You think he's a creep? I kind of think he is, because uh, so many of the jokes that he also gives himself have to do with him being a predator to women. Like uh, they were very, there were some very sexually aggressive jokes yeah. in this film. I will agree with you on that. Yeah, especially in the French Revolution. Um, and then yeah. he always like you know, and then when he starts putting himself in the movies, he keeps he gets to the girls. Uh, like his character in Blazing Saddles is this idiot governor who just wants to you know fuck all day with this hot chick whose boobs are like hanging out of her bra. So it's like always based on like this gross sexual humor, which like. I'm sure other white straight men find hilarious, but as a female viewer, I'm like, this is gross. Uh, and I, again, like when they're playing chess in the French Revolution, then it just it turns into a gang rape. It's like, that's how is yeah. this funny? How is this funny? You know, and then like and then he his whole people. like, it's good to be king is every time he takes advantage yeah. of a woman. Mm-hmm. Like this is, it's gross. So okay. it's my least favorite thing about him that I've kind of have to like, come to terms with when I watch his films. I'm like, wow, he really thinks that this is funny. And I don't like when, you know, men think that is, I, I don't think it's funny. <laughs> well, you know, he's a man of a certain age is all I can say, right? Yes. I mean, jokes like that will happen. But like, even in like Airplane, like there's not that many moments like that. Like the, the humor isn't like to degrading of women's bodies or anything like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Like the naked gun, like when they make fun of that love story between him and Priscilla Presley, mm-hmm. none of it is like towards her. Like they're both kind of evenly just being buffoons, you know? Yeah, so that's fair. In contemporaries, it's not always that. It's like, it's kind of something he does. It's almost like so, like, I don't know, like something you would see in Animal House or, or, or Porky's or something that's just so heavily geared to men. Aren't those movies of this time? <clears throat> Yeah, those are all contemporaries yeah. of the film. I remember too. I used to watch Porky's a lot because I was expecting like male nudity, and boy, was I disappointed. Again, I thank uh, TV Guide channel for that. For saying well, there you movie. go. So TV Guide is just vastly disappointed. <laughs> yeah, um. <laughs> truly. Anyone remember TV Guide channel guys? Like, 
<laughs> it was my favorite channel to watch as a kid sometimes. It was good. It was good. Yeah. Yeah. Like, ooh. Instead of committing to something. Um, but, you know, it's, so it's interesting, even though we, we opened the show with saying, what's a bad movie? Now, I don't know if I would say this is a bad movie, but I would say it's not a good movie. I would say it is probably a forgettable movie. It is. And that is actually, to me, like, that's pretty much saying it's a bad movie. If it is a forgettable movie, like, that can't be good. I will 100% agree with you on that. I do think that if a movie is forgettable, it's a bad sign. Mm. And you are probably not a good movie. Because even a terrible movie that made me feel miserable, at least it made me feel something. <laughs> yes. I agree you know with I mean? that. Yeah. I can like, hate a movie and that does it, yeah, I think it's a shitty movie, but guess what? I will never forget it. A movie that comes to mind is one I saw with my buddies for this movie nightclub that we were having. It was called The Greasy Strangler. And this movie is absolutely abominable, absolute garbage. But I will never forget it. As much as I will, it will always haunt wow. me. Wow, look at that. And you could even say that Requiem for a Dream, like Eddie brought up, does kind of fit that mold, you know. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but history of the world here. I'm kidding. <laughs> womp womp. Uh, but yeah, the history of the world could kind of fit that, you know, because like that's the thing. I can't even like bring up so many jokes like the really? jokes that the 15 like, commandments. We yeah. just went over this. Yeah, but that's the thing. Like, I can only remember a handful. Like, I don't know. Something that was really funny, I could probably remember most of the movie. Like, in fucking Airplane or something. So. You don't remember B. Arthur was there? <clears throat> I do remember, now that you brought it up, that B. Arthur was there. I don't B. remember Arthur what she said. There. She what? was like, oh, you're a stand-up, you're a schlub or something when he tried you're to say he was a stand-up uh, philosopher. Right. Uh, what yeah. was it? There was a... She's like paying off welfare checks, basically. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. And comedians don't make money. Comes. He's like, well, did you kill anyone? No. All right, one more week. If you don't kill someone, we can't give you your welfare check. Yeah. Hilarious. I thought it was. Uh, <laughs> Just to see B. Arthur. Yes, it was nice to see B. Arthur. And, and it was great to see Madeline Kahn, and that's probably why I laughed with her, but even Madeline Kahn couldn't save the movie for me. Um, at the end of the movie, there are previews of History of the World Part Two in which there is a Viking funeral, there's Hitler on ice, and then Jews in space. And Jews in space pretty much becomes uh, space, space balls. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we never got History of the World Part Two, you know, until now. Until which apparently now. there was no intention of ever making a History of the World Part Two. Yeah, I think that like maybe it was like an idea and then he just completely disregarded it. And it was kind of funny that there was a preview for a movie that like is never going to come out. Mm-hmm. Uh -huh. But now there is a History of the World Part 2. And how they did it was that they made it an eight-part limited series, which debuted on Hulu. And they did two episodes per night for a whole week, or at least four days a week. Uh, and they have a lot of famous comedians involved for this. The main ones they being do. Wanda Sykes, Nick Kroll, Nick Kroll Nick and Kroll. Ike Barinholtz. Um, yep. And Mel Brooks is somewhat involved. He's the narrator. He is the narrator. I'm and he introed it. Let me tell you, when I saw him on TikTok announcing History of the World Part 2, my initial reaction was just like, Mel Brooks is still alive? Like, I could not believe it. I genuinely thought he had died like some decade ago. Because it he is was pretty, yeah. It's an pretty old man in History of the World Part 1, and that was 81. <laughs> he was a dead old man. I, yeah. I don't know what deal with the devil he has made. but I know, no, he's, he's, 
he's still kicking it alive and kicking um so yeah eight part series and they kind of go all over the place so like the original history of the world part one <clears throat> it's stone age it's rome uh the roman, roman empire mm-hmm. uh it it's it's the spanish inquisition the french, and then and it's french, french revolution, revolution right one yeah. two three four here it's like okay we're gonna go back and forth back and forth between many different time periods and some of the mm-hmm. time periods are the civil war the russian revolution um cave women william shakespeare uh richard nixon the rich, yes, and richard and nixon shirley chisholm yeah alexander graham bell so like we keep going back and forth constantly although there's our main ones most of the ones i already named kama sutra has like a brief one the right kama and sutra right yeah and so most of the people that i named are present in most of these skits like nick kroll Wanda Sykes and Ike Barinholtz. But then we get like little cameos like Danny DeVito, you know, shows up in the Russian Revolution. I think so does Jack Black. <clears throat> Ooh, by the way, Jack Black, I think, stole the show in his skit as Joseph Stalin. Yeah, no, I Jack thought Black was good. he was so good. And I forget how crazy talented Jack Black is. Like, he's one of those stars that I don't think of often. But yeah. when I see him, I'm just like, oh, God, you are, you You're are funny. true star power. Like, yeah, He's no, supposed to be I one agree of the with nice guys, you know. Oh, that's great. That's always such a plus. <clears throat> um, yeah. So, did you like this? Um, I, I it passed the time. I saw like several episodes in a row, and I wasn't uh, anxious to like kind of get over it. You know what I mean? Mm. Is it my, is it my favorite show? No, but I think there were some skits that were stronger than others and i think there were some performance some 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 stand-up comedians that stood out more so than others i think wanda sykes playing shirley chisholm Chisholm, Mm -hmm. was one of my favorite skits because that one not only i thought was funny like kind of you know uh being of that like 1970s comedy or 60s comedy, right? But it was also informative. I learned sub, I did not know about this, the first black Congresswoman. I didn't know that she also made a run for president, you know? So I thought that was exciting and like kind of entertaining because I, I didn't know that. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not a good history student. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. <clears throat> so. And I feel like that's what I should be doing when I watch something called History of the World. Learning something. Give me like a magic school bus moment. Mm, okay, so that, there's a metric for you. <clears throat> so you're actually being educated, which is part of the reason why you like it. Which I didn't have to be, but it's nice to, it's, it's a nice it's bonus. Nice to have it, yeah. Um, okay, so I did not like this at all. Um, at all? At all. <clears throat> yeah. I think the one thing that I maybe liked was um, Josh Gad as Shakespeare. Okay, really? Uh, portraying him as an ego <laughs> maniac like, who everyone took out around. Yeah. I mean, I liked Josh Gad uh, as Shakespeare. I don't know yeah. if it was my favorite skit at the moment. I found it to be remarkably not funny. Um, the skit itself? And, uh, all of it. Okay. Um, I'll, I thought Shirley Chisholm, though it was educational, and that's a plus, wasn't funny. I thought that I, I could do a better Richard Nixon than the guy who was on that fucking show, first of all. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, I like the Kama Sutra one. I was like, man, Kamal, he's so funny. Why am I not laughing? That one was a little bit of a drag because that he is funny. 
And that skit was kind of just really not. No, it wasn't. It, and you said it best with the when you were talking about the first film, which is it felt like a Saturday Night Live skit and where Saturday Night Live skits work very simply. You tell a joke and then you tell it over and over and over and over again for five minutes, right? Mm-hmm. You beat a fucking dead horse. Mm-hmm. You look at any skit of theirs, that's what they do. So that's kind of what this show does with all of its skits, except it drags it out for even longer. And there's no live studio audience there encouraging you to laugh along with them. Uh-huh. Um, so it becomes really painful. Like the five minute Kama Sutra one was fine because it was five minutes. We right. keep returning constantly to some of these skits and like the Ulysses Grant being an alcoholic and, you know, trying to get along with Robert in the Civil War and like all the different elements is just never really worked for me. The Romanoffs, every time we go to Anastasia being an influencer was not Whoa. very funny. Hey, God, I actually think the Anastasia as an influencer was brilliant. I the the Russian. The idea was clever. No, that entire, oh, was it the funny? Russian Revolution one is actually one of the skits that every time we kept going to it, I kept laughing. I actually thought that was one of the funniest you, skits. Okay. So that's where I Jack personally Black didn't find it comes. Funny. Uh, but also Nick Kroll is probably his strongest in those skits. I see. Uh, yeah. And I I have found myself to be more of a fan of Nick Kroll in like the last uh uh few years because of watching Big Mouth and like his comedy special with uh, John Mulaney. Okay. So I found myself like liking the crows and I uh and I think that skit was those skits were funny having that hot Jewish ki- the guy from he was also in like uh in Poker Face, right? Uh he's from Riverdale. Oh, right, right. The, the racer the, as yeah. his mm-hmm. son who, you know, his ripped ass falling in love with uh, Anastasia funny. Uh I did not know who was playing Schmuck's wife, but I thought she was good also. Yeah, I thought it was yeah. for a while. I, like I thought I it was Leah Remini. It is not. No. Uh, but I thought I was just like, it's not Janine Garofalo either. This is cool. Oh my gosh, that's who I thought it was. I thought it was Janine Garofalo. It's not Janine Garofalo. Uh, I'm. Sh- I looked her up and it was not. It's someone. It's someone I have not heard of. But I thought she was great. So those skits were some of my favorite skits. Uh, yeah, I, I I did like the Russian Revolution. I mean, come on, Anastasia, like. I mean, again, like, it's a clever idea, but was it actually funny? I didn't, that's the thing, like, ha, I appreciate the idea, but am I laughing? Did you find anything funny here? I'm curious. I chuckled, and I, and I, and there were, like, moments that were, like, similar to a Saturday Night Live skit. Like, oh, this is, I can see the humor uh, to it, you know, some of these actors as comedians do stand out. They do kind of have, like, Wanda Sykes, you could just watch her just do make mayonnaise and you know you're going to laugh <laughs> you know and uh but there are other other parts that were just like oh okay you know let's move on from this Nick Kroll is Judas did no one laugh I oh know. yeah I love that one actually the Curb Your Enthusiasm one yeah, yeah like Curb Your Judaism good... one I think it was like that's what it was called yeah Curb, Curb Your Judaism yes yeah. that's what it was and... I thought that was a great take on Judas uh huh I yeah, I thought that was another that's another Nick Kroll strong performance. Uh but you know, having J. Ellis as Jesus, just this cool, sexy Jesus, I thought was also something funny that we kept seeing. Uh the woman who played Mary, I used to see her in the Waynes brothers. She was a security officer. I thought, oh my god, I haven't seen her in so long, and I'm so glad she's back. As Mary, no less. Uh yeah. So there like I only saw a handful of episodes and the handful of episodes that I saw some of the skits when I liked them, I liked them when I did not like them. I did not like them. 
Well, that's a thing. Like overall, it's I I think this is going to be a very forgettable series for me. Um, I didn't really find like anything funny. Like I'm looking at the list right now in front of me. Like Alexander Graham Bell getting a crank called. That was corny. That was not, not very skit. funny. Um, I don't know. Like the Noah's Ark with uh, Seth Rogen. Not very pugs. funny. Come on. Yeah, well, of course Three we love that. The pugs. The pugs is cute, but like, you know, these things, like, that's the thing. Like, okay, it has redeeming qualities. Like, it educates me about Shirley Chisholm, has cute pugs. Is it funny? No. I don't know. <laughs> I actually do think the Noah's Ark one was a little funny, in my opinion, only because of seeing Seth Rogen going crazy for like little dogs and like they eventually resort to cannibalism. I thought that was overall a funny joke. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm his just reasoning, I'm his hard reasoning to worked. please. I don't Maybe know. Maybe you just like don't have a sense of humor. I, I guess say, so. Lesbians remind me of triangle of sadness. Yeah, I'm just reasons. I'm too caught up in that triangle of sadness <laughs> that I don't find anything funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. That's no, the thing. I, like, but this I actually I watch a lot of old films, as people may or may not know on this podcast. You don't I laugh say. out loud. While I'm watching a 30s or 40s film, like I actually feel like I'm very, uh, I'm a good watcher of comedy when it comes to all decades, all genres. So I was actually kind of excited for this because I'm like, oh, a sequel to Mel Brooks, who I actually find, despite, you know, being a perv, pretty funny. Uh I just, I guess that standard really let me down because Uh I just didn't see any hint of Mel Brooks, who apparently is one of the writers. I mean, like every episode is credited to 10 people, uh-huh. which is probably part of the problem. <laughs> but there's almost too many people involved with their own types of humor. And I don't know. But I also thought that the way that it was made was just very basic. And this comes down to why I think it was overall kind of bad is because it was just classic shot, reverse shot, medium here, wide here. And it just wasn't interestingly done or it just felt flat. The whole thing felt incredibly flat to me. It didn't mm. really have a tone that I felt like I could connect with. And it didn't have anything unique or mem- memorable about it. And at the end of the day, with when there has when there's so much content out there, like Rolando said earlier, there's so much, like you kind of do have to be more than just okay. competent. Yeah. Yeah. I look, I think you're one million percent correct as for reasons why this show isn't necessarily good. I just happen to think maybe you are being a little too hard on it because and i don't know like do you watch tiktoks and laugh still i do what kind of humor are you la- looking at like what 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 is tiktok <laughs> i'm just curious what, i i don't i my gosh i get fed a lot of tiktok i mean i i like i like things that kind of subvert my expectations how about that right okay All things right. that take a left turn and like oh you weren't expecting that i find to be very funny I'm very lowbrow comedy. I'm literally like little children slipping and falling and crying. Like that is. But my, I like those things too. I think my, I think Impractical Jokers is are hilarious. You know, <gasps> that's right. Impractical Jokers. Why? Why did any one of them show up? You know. Hey. Yeah. Why? Like they had that whole like jackass skit with R- Rasputin. Why couldn't they do like a Richard Nixon going to talk? But he's the Impractical Jokers are actually in their his ear, and it's like, all right, now say this. Now say yes. I'm not a crook, and they're like yeah. laughing. You know, like that could have been clever. Yeah, something um, like that. Uh, look, I, I don't disagree with you. I, I don't know if the show... the show it, it, Will I continue the show? Probably not. Did I hate the show? Absolutely not. I actually thought the show... There was a le- there was some level of charm there. Uh, is it my favorite show? No. But it's similar to... Like, 
okay, here, here's another question. Do you watch current Saturday Night Live skits? Uh, sometimes. Like, you watch them on YouTube, like, you'll watch whatever ha- people have been talking about. Because that's what I tend to do. Like, I won't watch a mm-hmm. full episode, but I'll watch something on YouTube if someone has been talking a lot about it. Yeah, I saw some of the Pedro Pascal ones. I actually saw they the were... one on Jeopardy where he knew all the old movie things, but he knew nothing about today. I thought that, that was, was a funny. good skit. Yeah. That was a good skit. Pedro Pascal had a pretty strong episode. Oh, did you see the one where he was in drag as uh, his yes. mom? Yes, I that's did see that one. really good. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really, really good skit. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I don't know where I was going with this other than like, I don't know the sensibilities. Cause I think the other thing that this show tried to do is, you know, some of those criticisms you were talking about from the previous one, Mm -hmm. rapiness. And I think let's be real. There was a level of like low key racism uh, present in Mm -hmm. the original one too, especially with just how we use Gregory Peck. Uh, who it was his first film. Gregory Hines. Movie. Gregory Hines. Gregory Peck Gregory was it? <laughs> <laughs> I was close. Yeah, I yeah, kind of like the humor about the objectification of a black male body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and who's Gregory Peck? Gregory Peck played Atticus Finch in To Kill a Mockingbird. He's not the tap dancer. That's Gregory Hines. <laughs> That's Gregory Hines. Yeah, Gregory okay. Hines, who was later in Will and Grace, and whatnot. That's where I really know him from. Yeah, <laughs> truly, I'm, I know. Uh, uh yeah but i mean this one obviously i feel like especially with someone like wanda sykes who is she gets pretty political pretty quick right like i did i'd be lying if i said you couldn't tell there was a little bit slight political agenda here in this one more so that was more present than the or or i don't that's not the right word i don't want to say it's like not it wasn't politically there was no political agenda per se but some of those jokes did veer a little bit more political, right? Not necessarily that they, I'm not saying that they had a slant because I think they were like they targeted both sides, but like you know there was a clear they made fun of the current politics of the time and stuff, and maybe that's also part of the reason why it appealed to me, right? I do love the drama of current American politics, so maybe that yeah. just spoke to me. I mean, that's the thing. Like I, I do find a lot of things funny nowadays, so I don't know. This just didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I, I even watched it with my mom, and my mom didn't find anything funny. Wow. So. I don't know if I could watch this with my mom, because I don't think she would get it. <laughs> but she doesn't <laughs> talk about you. English is not her first language, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I for me, it definitely was like, oh, I expect this to be funny. So when well, it wasn't, it became a massive disappointment. So I think I told you last week, I showed my mom that movie with J-Lo and Jennifer Coolidge. Yes. We both liked it. Like, I don't know why that movie was getting so, such hard negative reviews because I thought that movie was just borderline good. I will say so it right here. So, actually, let's, let's take a film that we've covered that you say is all in out a bad film. Can you think of one? Uh, Dr. Doolittle. I would agree with that. And, and just remind the viewer why it's bad. Why was Dr. Doolittle bad? I think just bad. The story made no sense. Yeah. Yeah. The mm-hmm. performances kind of were just like lackluster. Yeah. Everything it was kind of going for didn't succeed. And so it was, there was no, like, it wasn't very funny. It wasn't yeah. like in, very enthralling or the story, you know, you couldn't really connect with it. Like it was worse than the original one. Which was also pretty bad. Right. 
but at least the original one had like kind of a message behind it. I couldn't agree with that message, right? It was like pushing veganism, basically. <laughs> <laughs> that was the agenda of that film. Yeah. Um, and at least Dr. Doolittle with Eddie Murphy had Eddie Murphy in it, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, Dr. Doolittle, yeah. Uh, and again, forgettable. We can't even Absolutely remember most of the movies. Oh, so. that's not true. I mean, I do remember so much of it because I just disliked it. So maybe, maybe not. No, oh. it's a bad movie. It's one of the. It was I can't remember. Movie. I can't remember the plot. I remember the opening credits were beautiful, and then the rest of the film. <gasps> I do remember the opening credits being beautiful. Yeah. 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 Does that save it? So. Does that make? Does that push it onto the? <laughs> yeah, but like you liked Jurassic World, the new yeah. one, right? Which but, a lot on. of people panned. Hang on, like is a strong word. I know what I was paying for and that's what they delivered and that's why I'm not upset. We covered that with Mackenzie. We both felt the same way. It's just like, yo, they gave us the big dinosaurs and some big climactic scenes. That's what we wanted. They gave it to me. I'm I'm not complaining. Yeah. 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 Sometimes sometimes Hollywood just has to deliver on what they're promising. If I'm watching a Jurassic World movie, they need to give me the big dinosaurs. They They need to give me the big action sequences they did. You know, I think sometimes great example, people... Great, great, great call, because I think you're right. That movie got panned a it lot. Did, I, yeah. On my TikTok feed, the, the movie critics that I follow, like, they are constantly trashing that movie. I'm just like, I disagree with all of you guys. <laughs> just like... Because they also trashed. They were the ones trashing that J-Lo movie with, uh, with uh, Jennifer Coolidge. I'm just like, yo, where is this hate coming from? J-Lo is phenomenal in it. Give her her Oscar. <laughs> I think people just like to help on bandwagons sometimes. Like, oh, everyone says it's bad. This will get more views if I say it's mm-hmm. bad. So yeah. I should start doing the opposite. Be like, yo, here's why this movie is good. Start with Showgirls and watch Showgirls. I'm pretty sure that's been talked at nauseum. Maybe not point. at nauseum because I don't think it's like I don't think the public opinion has changed on it. I think most people still look think of it as a bad film, but it's hard to change public opinion, you know. It is. It is. Uh, well, what is your public opinion, guys, on the history of the world, part one and two? Have you seen it? What do you think? Also, we had like something that we wanted you guys to chime in earlier in the episode. Forgot what it was, but if you remember, reach out yeah. to us and let us, know let us know your thoughts. Oh, if people are as Open to old older movies. films or yeah. something. Yeah. yeah. And me. That's it. That's yeah. what it was. You're not critical. You're just closed to it. That's it. Closed minded. Because most of the time just... when you watch them, you actually do enjoy them. It's not like no. you hate all of them. Don't. Don't. Don't do that. It's not true. Most of the time. It's, it's like I'm going to go like back. It's like a flip of the coin. <laughs> uh, sometimes you hate on it just because it's old. And that's I think true. that's justified. It's true. It's like a. It's a is it old and a musical? Hate it. Oh, Hate yeah. it. Talking, if yep. it's musicals, forget mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. I'm out. Tapped out. <laughs> he's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's he's tapped out like James Cagney tapped out in Yankee Doodle Dandy. So ways that you can reach us. <laughs> remakes, reboots, and revivals at gmail.com. Just remakes, reboots, revivals. Uh, you can get our handle on Instagram at remakes, reboots, revivals. On Twitter at remakes podcast. You can search for us on Facebook and YouTube by searching remakes, reboots, revivals, and we'll come up. And if you can... Go to wherever you're listening to your podcast. Give us a little rating. And if you can, give us a review. We would so, 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 so appreciate it. Yeah. And if you want to listen to older episodes, which I highly recommend, 
Uh, be sure to visit our website, www.remakesrebootsrevivals.com. Yes. There are only like 50 episodes are available on all of your podcasting platforms. Right. So we reference older episodes like Dr. Doolittle. You can find that on our website. Mm-hmm. Um, should they listen to that one? <laughs> I mean, unless <laughs> you want to hear us. Sometimes we just rip shit to shreds, guys. That movie, so. two two out of the three movies got ripped to shreds in that one. Yeah, yeah. Like, I highly recommend you guys go back and listen to one of my all-time favorites, A Star is Born. And you can hear Rolando praise a 30s film in that. So, yeah. And prove what he just said two minutes ago wrong. I, said, I just said not all, <laughs> like not most. It's just, I would say, 50%. Yes, that's kind of what I said. I said most of the time you do like it. You just fifty percent is not sh- most. It to 50%. That is half. He just doesn't want to admit it, guys. I'm a half He's a empty kind of guy. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, we need you to know that we will be taking a little break. Uh, so come back in the next Thank three to God. four weeks when we yeah, because Rolando just. We'll miss it because it's such a joyous experience for him. But uh, come back in the next three to four weeks when we will be covering Super Mario Brothers. I think that will Is be that the week what we're of... coming in with. Yes, we will be coming back with the Super Mario Brothers film, and we will be comparing it to the '90s cult classic with Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo. Um, I'll tell you guys right off the bat if you're still listening. Uh... I think that movie is one of those movies that gets panned, and when I have seen this so many times, it's just like why. Why do we hate on this movie? I like, love that movie. Yeah, this movie, like, di- like this movie is good. Like, this movie is good. That's it, period. That's, yeah. what, that's yeah. my argument going into this one. Yeah, it's because, all right, we'll get into it next time. Right. We will see you guys in a couple of weeks in April to cover Super Mario Brothers. Until then, stay, stay unoriginal. original.